One day I overheard the teacher tell the inspector that I was addled. Old word, means confused, worthless, struggling, all that. And it would be worthwhile keeping me in school any longer. It would not be worthwhile to keep me in school any longer. I was so hurt by this last straw that I burst out crying and went home and told my mother about it. And then I found out what a good thing a good mother is. She came out as my strong defender. Mother love, the mother's love was aroused. Mother pride uh, wounded to the quick. She brought me back to the school and angrily told the teacher that he didn't know what he was talking about and that I had more brains than he himself and a lot more talk like that. In fact, she was the most enthusiastic champion a boy ever had. And I determined right then that I would be worthy of her and show her that her confidence was not misplaced. That quote's from Thomas Edison. Went on to obviously invoke, uh, invent all sorts of things like microphone and cameras and utilities and the light bulb. Smart guy. And I, I read that quote because I absolutely love it. He says, my mom, she was a, my strong defender. Um, she saw something in me that nobody else spot, seen. And she responded... He responded to the identity that she gave him. Okay? She's like, no, you're not that. I'm giving you a new, like, I see you different than they see you. And he responded to the identity that his mother gave him. So why are we even talking about this? Because how I see myself matters. It matters. And it's important to God. Because who Thomas Edison was and who he became was directly linked to how another person saw him. Now, we talk about this because we've heard the question so much, especially in today's society, who am I, right? And in our modern culture, the burden of figuring out the answer to that question has fallen on us, the individual. If you go back 150 years, your identity was often connected to your family or to your community or to your village. It was long, like you wouldn't figure out who I am or what I'm going to do with my life. You would, if your dad was a, uh, you know, a blacksmith, you'd be a blacksmith. Like you just continue the family business, right? But at, with technology and transportation and all of this stuff, <clears throat> we moved from a we culture to an I culture. And with that came the idea of who am I, especially in the last hundred years. But when we ask that question, what are we actually asking? We're ask, asking, asking the question, why do I exist? We're asking the question, why, does it, why do I matter? What gives me value? What gives me worth? How am I special? What makes me unique? How do I fit and influence the world around me? These are fair questions. And what I've found is I've looked at these ideas and how the Gospels and we play into this idea is that identity and purpose so often go hand in hand. I am what I am, but it's also I'm, I have value and purpose also because I'm doing something by what I'm doing. And that's why 
so often our identity is based on either an, our actions, what we're doing, or our, on a perception, how others see me. And for us, we value different things. For some people, how I'm seen is the most important thing at times, and so I, I function in a way to be seen a certain way, and others, they find their value and their worth and their identity in what they do. I would say I'm that guy, right? I, I, there was a time where I remember, I'll still tell you this story. So I was um, unemployed and living with my in-laws, and it was awesome. <laughs> okay? And I had just had the absolute worst butt-kicking from a church I'd ever received. And uh, we moved from L.A. to this church, and it, it just was a complete disaster, and everybody that moved there ended up getting fired, and it was, it was a mess. And I was trying to find a job, and because ministry, and I come from a background where, you know, vocational ministry is the absolute peak of existence as a Christian, I was looking for only ministry jobs. Month after month went on, we're still making any money, and finally, me and Rachel were talking, and Rachel goes, um, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is ugly, I'm going to get ugly real quick. She goes, why don't you just get like a regular job? And I'm like, what, just be like a regular guy? That's nasty. And I, right when it came out of my mouth, I'm like, that's gross. Right? My identity had been attached to ministry. My identity had been so uh, just connected to me as a pastor that to do anything else was to devalue me as a person. That's gross. It's idolatry, really, at its core. And it was at that moment that I'm like, oh no, thankfully the Holy Spirit let me see that and Rachel would have also let me see that because <laughs> she's a good woman that way. She just, she just stopped and paused and looked at me like, wow, you said that out loud. I immediately went to my computer and looked for any other job and that's how I got into cars. Right? Started working for Volkswagen selling, selling cars and it was awesome and the Lord used it. And it was funny, he gave me a job that like you could find your identity in it. I'm a car salesman, but you probably don't want to, <laughs> Right? So all what I'm talking about is coming from a very real space that I've gone through and experienced and I'm hyper aware of. And, and it, not that it doesn't happen still, but I saw the damage that it could have caused me. I, the church that worked us over was me in 30 years if things would have continued. It was a man that was so connected to the pulpit that for anybody else to get in that space was a hit on his value and his identity and his purpose. And heaven forbid I ever get to that space. So God was good to kick my butt that way. Um, and so it's important for us to understand this idea of identity, identity and what makes me value and where do I find my worth and how am I special. And so we know as we've gone through the story of God that um, God gave human beings an identity, right? Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 31, he makes man in his image and he basically gives them this idea, you're an image bearer of me. And your purpose is to fill the land and to rule over creation and to image me to the rest of the world. That was God's intent for human beings. That's why we were made. We were to, glory, to, to give him glory and to point creation back to him. And so it was this visible aspect of, of God, but there was also with that this functionality of representing God. And so God defined who we were we were these created beings made in his image that he chose to enter into relationship with and we are tasked with representing him to the rest of creation. 
And then, of course, we know the story, right? Man rebels. That's broken. It's distorted. Rather than reflecting and representing God, human beings begin to represent and reflect other things. We chose to assert our own authority. And where we were finding our identity in God's image, now we start finding our identity in some other image or some other function. Now, with that, what ended up happening in the distortion is that identity was attached, like I said, to perception or to actions. I am what I do, I am what I, uh, my job, my position, or I'm what other people think. And this is where we found a lot of value and, and worth. And so as our story continued, we, we know that God restored, right? Jesus came and he began to do this work. He paid the penalty for our sin. He began to be the true image bearer. He did all of the things that we've been looking at for the last two weeks. Now, with that, we see that the Father gives us a new identity as Christians. And I just want to like touch on this a little bit. Like, A lot of times, our identity gets jacked up because sometimes by things that we do, but a lot of times stuff that happens to us. Right? Like, it made sense that I was grasping for value and worth because I was just treated like completely worthless. Like we moved our whole family to a place to help this church and we got kicked to the curb. And I ended up living with my in-laws, which was like the most miserable thing at the time. It was so hard. It was so hard. Hopefully they don't listen to this one. They won't. But what at these times when we're looking and grasping for value and worth, especially when times are hard, God gives us his word to give us who we are. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, it says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons in whom, the father, in whom we cry, Abba, Father. So as a follower of Jesus, our first identity is that we're a child of God. By adoption. Guys, I love that. Because we live in a culture where, yes, family and children are the most biggest value, which is so awesome. But the thing, any of the parents in here, like we love our kids because they're our kids. And so often when people adopt, they go and find the best kid, the best baby, the healthiest baby. We have friends that when they went and started adopting, they went and found kids with like no arms. It was the craziest thing. You're just going like, man, like these kids, nobody wanted them. And it was one of the most gospel, beautiful moments as I'm looking at this going like, that's what our Father has done often with us. That we are children of God by adoption, not because we are the best and the brightest, but because God chose to love us. And so when he says, you're my child, it isn't because we earned it. It's not because he's obligated to do that because we're his biological child. It's because he went out and he grabbed the worst and the broken and, the, and people that just don't have any arms, don't have any legs, like we're helpless so often. And he's given this identity as we're children of the Father. And I even I've talked about 1 John chapter 3, 1 before, but this idea that as John is talking to this church, he says, Beloved, which is another identity, we're beloved by the Father. You are children of God now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. And so we, I like that John said that because 
Sometimes we don't feel like children of God. Like sometimes we don't feel like children of the King. Either we're getting beat up and we're like, yeah, if you're children, why are you letting me just take this beating? Or it's like we're just, we're struggling. And so John identifies this idea, that, yes, this is your new identity, but there's times, there's something better coming and there's times you're not going to necessarily feel this way. And so we have this identity given to us that we are children of God. And we see that with that as followers of Jesus, it gives us a new identity in regards to our community. You know, when this was written, like I said, often your identity was attached to your community. You were a part of a larger group. And so being a child of God makes us, therefore, part of a larger community, which is family, which is Christ, like where the church is a family. And I love that. I remember when I was in L.A., we were part of a community group, and I think I've mentioned this before, but like it was the most hodgepodge group of people, and I looked at it one day and go, just like a family. Like, you don't get to choose your family. You have people coming in, and they're like, man, you are so different than me, but like we're family. And so with that comes loyalty. And with that also comes this idea of like care, and you don't always have to like them. You know what I'm saying? Like we can love each other and care for each other and be loyal to each other, like, and not necessarily even enjoy them as a person, and that's okay. I think sometimes it's the idea that we have to enjoy everybody that's a Christian. It's like, we're different, man. Like, sometimes it's not going to happen, but with us being family, your father's my father, and I'm going to be loyal to you just like, any, like you're going to be loyal to me, and we don't have to hang out all the time, and that's okay, but like, we're family. And so with this, I, this beautiful picture that we see of this new community, um, it, it, it reminds me a little bit, like as I'm, and I love this story about Thomas Edison because like Thomas Edison's mother was his great defender and gave him this identity, we too have a father that's our great defender and he gives us this identity. But what's cool is that where his mother saw his potential and knew that he was smart, we're really addled, like so often. And God sees all of it, and he, our weakness, all of it, the real us, and he loves us deeply. And so what happens is, is that this idea of our identity be rooted in perception and, and action doesn't change, right? It is rooted in perception and action, but what is, has changed is that it's in Christ, that it's God's perception of us through the lens of Jesus. And it's based on not our works and our actions, but Jesus' actions. So this identity has been given to us because God sees us through Christ. And he's able to see us that way because Jesus' actions. And so rather than on how others sees us or what we do, it's because of Jesus and how God sees us. That is so huge. And it is so important because if I see God and that's like, and I'm receiving how he sees me, it frees me to function out of health and out of his goodness and his love. Because if God is glorious and I see that and I know that he loves me, then I don't have to strive for my own glory. Or I don't have to worry about necessarily what other people see or see me or perceive me. Now, be foolish to say, like, that never matters, right? I say a lot of times, I don't care. I do, right? But often it's not going to sway me. But I've known 
and I've been in spaces where what, how somebody saw me was so unbelievably crucial, it would change how I functioned because I wanted to be seen a certain way. If God is great, I don't have to fear what man says. If God is good, I can believe and trust that I don't have to find goodness in something else. If God is gracious, I don't have to run and work off my own struggles or at the same time like feel like I, I have to earn something. How God sees me allows me and frees me to function in a space of health, and it allows me to function and operate in response to God. Rather than me trying to get God to respond to me. And to say it that way sounds gnarly because I don't think any of us would be like, I'm trying to get God to do things for me. It's like, we wouldn't maybe say it that bluntly, but it's taught a lot in church. That we're trying to function in a way to get God response. I'm going to do this so that God maybe favors me or loves me or, or that God, if I do this, God is happy with me and when I don't do this, God is displeased with me. That's not true. Like God's pleasure is found in Jesus. And there are times when our actions and our sin and our rebellion causes consequence, but it doesn't change God's heart for you. It doesn't change God's love for you. It doesn't change God's grace that he bestows upon you. It might affect how I relate with God, but God is always present with open arms waiting. And so seeing this identity, this new identity that I'm this child of God dearly loved, that my identity now is based on what Jesus has done and how God perceives Jesus, it frees us. It also frees me from searching for purpose and meaning. Now, it's good to have goals, and there's nothing wrong with that. But so often in this culture, not just here in this city, but in American culture and Western culture, if you aren't hitting certain levels, then you don't matter. You don't have value, or you're not successful enough, or you're failing as, as an American, you're failing as whatever. And we can be driven by this idea of, this, of these goals and these purposes that we're trying to achieve, that if we don't hit these, then, then what, what's the purpose of life? And, it, and by the time, I mean, I, I work in an industry where I see, you know, in this community, we have a lot of folks that are, you know, retirees, but like, there's a lot of really old folks coming in, and they work their whole life, and I've had so many times where I've had one spouse in, and they just got a car, and now they're turning it back in because their spouse passed. Like, they worked their whole life to get this space, and then, for what? The purpose, the, the American dream so often can wear us out. And so when our purpose is fixed in what God has called us to do and what God's brought us, that we're going to image him and, and we're going to care for other people and we're going to love God and love others and we're going to function in this space, it frees us. So, if, yeah, I go to my job and I make money, great. But my purpose hasn't changed by that job. And if I'm not at that job and I do something else, my purpose hasn't changed. I'm still on mission trying to point people to Jesus. And so that means that anything I do can have meaning. It doesn't have to be only when I'm doing this, it has, matters. And when I'm doing, not doing this, it doesn't matter. Every moment of every day is an opportunity for me. Like, Lord, how are you going to show up and do something? Like, go to the gym. Like, is there going to be a conversation today? I go get coffee. Is there going to be a conversation? Like, Lord, what? It changes how I tip. I mean, it just, there's so much that it affects going, this is who I am because God's declared it. And this is what God's called me to do. And so I get to function out of that space. So we have this renewed purpose. And with that, as we delight and enjoy God, he, 
the beautiful thing is, is he, we respond and he gives us like his spirit to do that. It's not even like we have to strive to get there. It's like as we're enjoying God and relishing in how he sees us, so often our desires and our motives and our, it changes. And so it's just natural. It is fruit as a follower of Jesus is a byproduct of healthy relationship with the king. And if we focus on trying to bear fruit, it's like that little apple tree trying to like, just got to get the apples out. When the problem is, is you need more fertilizer, like you need to be a healthy vine. Be connected to the vine, the fruit follows. And so my exhortation, as I'm, I'm pretty much done, is that where is our identity fixed? Where do we find value, purpose, and worth? How do we see ourselves? Is it aligned with how God sees us? Where do we find our purpose and where are we finding our, what's driving us? And my, my encouragement is enjoy Jesus. Enjoy how God sees you. Enjoy how he longs to be with you and what he's invited you into. Spend time in that space and a lot of these other things will work themselves out. So with this, we'll close and we will... Um, you know, come to the table, partake of uh, communion. You know, Jesus' body broken for us so that we can be seen that way by the Father, be forgiven, his blood shed, so we can have this new purpose. So we, God can restore and repair what was broken by sin so that we can image him again. Like, this is, should be always, and I will say this, like, Partaking of communion, I came from a background, this idea that if you don't have everything dialed, don't come to the table. Because you might die. Like I've heard that said, like, you come in an unworthy manner, man. You're taking your life in your own hands, right? We're laughing because we've all heard it, okay? You know what unworthy is? Unworthy is, is they're talking to the Corinthians saying, you guys are partying, you guys don't even consider Jesus in this. Coming to the table is doing this without even considering Christ. It's this, we're coming to remember Jesus lived and died so that we could be with him. That's what this is. So coming is going, I need you. I had a really bad week. I was flinging sin everywhere, man. Like, it was rough. Come to the table. That's what it's there for. Like, I need Jesus. The reminder is I need Jesus. Jesus is the only source of sustenance and life and satisfaction. And as I partake of the bread and I partake of the juice, it is as it goes in and nourishes me and gives me strength, even if it momentarily, that's what God's desire is for us.